Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm pretty Woff. Ooh, guess what this month is? This, dude, we, we would have did this last year. And then, you know. And then we forgot. Or we, something happened. We I don't remember. A week, we were in a weekend to the month into February. Oh, I was like, working. And then you were working. Yeah, yeah so I was in Texas. In the yeah, I think of we're, shooting. I think we were going to dance around it and still just talk about the fact that February 11th, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm double checking. Now, I'm gonna edit. First edit. I love it. 60 seconds in. Yeah, I had yeah, it February all 11th. Yeah, February 11th. February 11th, 1936. What happened on that day, Corey? Our man, Burt Reynolds, who is the subject of our entire month of February, was born. Yeah. Burton Leon Reynolds Jr. Lansing, Michigan. Burton. Yeah. And we don't have to tell anybody who Burt Reynolds is. I hope not. But with the first movie up that we're covering, it's going to be a movie that I bet is not not very many people have seen yeah. uh, in the Burt Reynolds catalog. No, I don't. I don't think so. With good reason. Yeah, <laughs> we got Bergen, Durning, Siegel. Uh, who else is in it? Uh, Richard Lawson. Uh, <laughs> we even have we have we have Carrie Fisher's stepsister in it. Right, Trisha Lee Fisher, who Trisha Lee Fisher, and uh, plays her daughter, his daughter, and he. She's. I mean, I always knew who she was because she tried to have a musical career. She had like a pop music career at one point around right. like 88. But she also was in a movie that not a lot of people have seen called Book of Love. Uh, like that, I can't remember. That was 88, 89. Book of Love, 88. Yeah. 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 I love Book of Love. It is in the, that's a fun one. Seek that one out because, well, we should cover it because hopefully it's better than our remembrance of Stick. Stick. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. For, for a moment. We're going to put our 14 and 15, I'm sorry, 15 and 60 year old selves aside for a moment that saw this movie when it came out in 1985. This, and that's the thing too. This movie came out at a time when Bert was on the backslide of his yeah, career. Man. Right. Um, Before, we're about yes. two years removed from what people consider his career killer, but he was already kind of Which facing one was that? Was that City Heat or Stroke Race? Stroke Race. <laughs> <laughs> City no, Heat's pretty terrible ironic, too. It is. Ironically that, you know, uh, there, this movie is chock full of production issues, and one of them was, and we'll get to it a bit later on too, was that Elmore Leonard, who wrote the book that came out in 1983, I think Bert saw the book in advance, saw the advanced manuscript before publication, and said, I want to make that movie. Well, Elmore, Elmore was like, sweet, man. I want to see the dude that made Sharky's Machine and Gator. I want to see that dude playing my man Stick. Right. So he was all for it. 1984, when this when the script was was written by Elmore. He was paid now, dude. And this is a number that just blows my mind. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, right. Now we're way ahead of that script boom that Shane Black and Joe Esterhaz initiated, like in the late or sorry, the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah so no, we're, a few more. Was it like four? I mean, five years after this. Yeah, we're, we, we weren't even close to it yet. And but Elmore Leonard. Even and that's nothing too at this point. Elmore Leonard is a well-known name in our circles, but when Bert announced that he was going to make this novel into a feature film, interest in Elmore Leonard had a resurgence. Everybody was interested in doing his stuff again, and uh, for a lot of reasons, and not that it was Quentin Tarantino's choice uh, or this it wasn't Stick that got him interested in making uh, Rum Punch into Jackie Brown. He was long aware of that, but it brought the rest of the world to pay attention to Elmore Leonard's writing again. And unfortunately, uh, not all of his writing is on the screen because right. there were some major rewrites and reshoots. 
and uh, less than stellar performances in the second half of the movie. Yeah, um, it's weird, man, right? Yeah. It's like you're watching two movies. Like yeah. there's a point where it literally shuts off and then you're like, what the fuck? What is this? Right. Adult Corey, and I think possibly even adult Freddy looked at this movie and go, man, we sure love this movie with <laughs> kids. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, dude, yes, 100%. But yeah. watching it last night, yeah. I was like, wow. Uh, it's super obvious that this movie... That's, I mean, there's so many weird tacked on, mo and it's yeah. just, it's a muddled mess, man. It really I mean, is. I read the book and it, 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 I mean, I, but here's the thing. I hadn't read the book when I was 15. Right. I hadn't, I, you know, I read the book after because I liked the movie and I read the book and I'm like, this isn't the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, but then in my mind, I was like, ah, oh, whatever. It happens all the time. They always say, if you like the movie, don't read the book. And if you like the book, don't see the movie. This is one of those cases where that is absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing too. The, the guy that came in to write, to do the, to do the uh, rewrites, uh, Joseph Stenson, he, he has he has a, a connection to Bert because the year before this he was in City Heat. I didn't know this about City Heat. Did you know that City Heat was originally written Blake Edwards? By Blake Edwards, but the yes. different with the Dickens. He went for, he went for he the took his name off of the movie. Yeah, he went for the Alan Smithy for writers. You know how rare that is. It's so Sam rare. Sam O. Brown, I yeah. think, is yeah. how he's listed. Right? Yeah, it's so bizarre. You almost never see anybody take an Alan Smithy on a writing thing because there's so much money to be made on the back end. It's such a weird thing. Uh, the year before that, in '83, um, was Sudden Impact for Joseph Stinson. So he, he had a nice little three year run until this. Well, I think he wrote, he was one of the writers on heartbreak Ridge too, right? Like he, uh, oh, he yeah, graduated no, yeah, he's, from, he's, he's he split his with, time with between Clint, Clint and Bert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the eighties. And what, that's, what's so funny about it. And I think, um, again, that the movie was shot a certain way. It was cut to put together. Bert sent it back to universal to say, Hey, check it out. And, uh, Sid Scheinberg was not happy with what he got. And Bert was, and Bert being Bert back then, because Bert was the man and Universal was his home as, as far as his feature films go. You look at the, the Smokey movies and as for Hooper, Smokey the Bandit, yeah. Uh, yeah, all those, man. But Bert was just chilling at home and then Sid goes, hey man, we got, we got to do something about your movie. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> He's like, no, you don't understand. We're rewriting it. We're reshooting it. And Bert flat out said, Whatever. And, but years later, Bert would, would come out in an interview and saying, yeah, man, I was, <laughs> I'm not saying this is in defense of what I did, but I just walked through the movie after that. I can attest. You can tell. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Absolutely. You can tell. Um, what are the weird things that they put in the movie? It always felt like it was shoved in. And honestly, I didn't know about these reshoots and everything until late last night. I thought, Wow, that explains so much. Yeah, absolutely right. But the, one of the things is that he's estranged from his teenage daughter. Usually in movies like that, you just kind of, you don't even hear about him or, or see them again or anything like that. And we already kind of had an estranged daughter moment just a, a few years before this with The End, right? With yeah. Chrissy McNichol. And so I would have to think, I mean, I, I honestly feel because it just feels jarring that the this stuff with the daughter was put in there and I did a little more research and it's true. That was part of the reshoots was putting the daughter face-to-face uh, uh, -face with the daughter in there. And it doesn't serve anything except for some shitty loose plot point at the end. And if you notice how, and how weird is it later on too, when she's used as a, a 
as a, a pawn in getting him to do something, which it just feels it, so. It becomes like movie cliche 113. Yeah. Let's throw the, uh, hey, hey, look, we got your daughter, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of this movie came out in 1985. What other 1985 movie does this feel like for the first 10 minutes of it? Commando. Oh, 100%, dude. And, and she even kind of looks like Alyssa Milano right, a little bit. Right, that's exactly what Like when she showed up, I was like, that's not Alyssa. That can't be Alyssa Milano. No, I'm with you. I was thinking the exact same thing. The music, the whole montage. When dude, you the see, montage. Oh, my gosh. Tell me that's not the same movie. It's the same score, practically. Right. I'm not saying what, what Bert wrote. and I mean, what Bert shot and cut was a better version of what we got. I kind of think Sid was, even though he did all these reshoots and everything, it really felt like, I don't know, man, like he was trying to mimic something that he saw in his screening room, like Commando. You know, it, it feels like the, he saw something advanced and something they were doing with the, with Commando. And they said, I want to do that. This is what we want to do in the beginning. Because I feel like that. Well, that, that montage, dude, feels like it's, you know, it's in every 80s movie. We've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, that especially in action movies. Yeah. And, and this isn't really an action movie. No. It's, it's, a, it's a crime thriller, sort of. Yeah. But it doesn't thrill much. No. It's <laughs> Elmore Leonard. So you know what to expect from that aspect, or right. at least you what get, they're trying to achieve. Sure. And you get fun characters. But, uh, man, they show up and they don't really, they don't really propel the story along. They just kind of no. show up. Right? Like, you you know, it's weird. <laughs> they show like, up and they get murdered. They show up and they get killed, kind of. It's, it's uh, hey, look, there's uh, Richard Lawson, who I love. I love Richard Lawson, dude. He's in a handful. You know, he's in Streets of Fire. Yeah. And he's in a ton of stuff. And then he shows up in this, and I'm like, what the hell is Richard Lawson doing? You know, when he, when Bert first meets him, I'm just like, and he's doing that accent. He sounds like Rochester for a minute. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right. And that's another thing too. Does, don't you notice he kind of playing it up, like the whole, you know, the whole servant thing when he when Bert first shows up. Yes, oh, hundred percent. Right. And then, and then Bert even says, "Yes, man." Like when he when he shows when he's like, "Yeah, boss." When yeah. he follows him, I was like, "That's weird." The whole thing is it's super weird. It's like going, "What do you?" Is he trying to play it up? Right, like that. Like he's just doing that when Seagulls around. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I feel so. like I feel like Siegel doesn't give a shit, you know, how he acts. <laughs> no, he just likes ex-cons. It's cool for him to, you know, yeah. everybody that works for him is an ex-con. I don't know. I just thought I think he was poor directing choices in that moment because I'm like, don't don't make him like that. There's no reason to, and, he, and he's not. He's like in there for like he does it for like thirty seconds and then he doesn't do it anymore. And he's right. in the movie quite a bit. Quite he honestly. is in the movie quite a bit. And yeah. by the you know, and when he when he ends when when we you know when he ends up meeting you know his fate, you 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 actually care about Lawson's yeah. character because you know he's Richard Lawson. Right. But that being said, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of characters in this movie I don't care anything about. Right. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Candace Bergen don't care. And I love George Siegel, but like his character is not that interesting. No. It's not. It's so, I was like, man, do I remember a different movie? And I think we realized I did anyway. My thing is I really, I remember, uh, you know, I remember the people that are in the movie. And then I remember Da Robinson, who is yeah. one of the Loki. most best slipmen that's ever walked this planet. And his gag that is set a standard for falls from high locations. I remember those two things about the movie. And because that's the main thing I remember about the movie other than the cast it takes a really long time to get to that moment. <laughs> yeah. 
a long, I mean, it's only an hour and 47 minutes, I think, but man, it felt like a, <laughs> it felt like, it felt like I needed an intermission. It's a long movie. Anyway. So the, the silly ass movie is, is, is about stick in this case, Ernest stick right. stickly that Burt Reynolds plays. And that montage we're talking about, he literally just rolls into town. on a train. Right. He, get, he gets picked up by his homie, you know, and immediately <laughs> they go on a fucking like a drug deal or something. They go, let's go get a drink first. Right. They go get a drink at the bar where they have that weird interaction with the, uh, very, very the, young, the young bartender. bartender. And then Bert slams some dude's face into the, you know, short eyes. <laughs> and, and then they're out. See ya, baby. <laughs> and this, yeah, he beats up some skeevy fucker at the bar for, you know, wooing on the the very, gosh, I want to say she's not even 18. Well, she has to be. She's serving booze. Oh, well. So, right? In the she's movie, serving, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but right, in the movie, but maybe in real life she wasn't. I yeah. don't know. Super creepy moment. And, the, the, and again, that's what we were talking about earlier about. It's such a weird moment because he like, Bert smashes the shit out of this dude's face for being, you know, a child molester. He calls her short eyes as again, as he explains what that means. And I'm like, good, because I didn't know what it means either. We get to that point later on where the daughter shows up and I'm like, it's a really weird moment. Like we discussed, but so yeah, they go from the bar and off they go to some drug deal. I mean, it, right. They jump into a dude that in that van, Could that <laughs> van look any more like, a, it looks like a rape van. Like, well, you know what I mean? Right? It's like. It looks like something like Jamie Gump would be like luring women into with a couch into the back of it. And I'm like, do you think that's the best thing to get into after you just got out of prison? Yeah. <laughs> stick. I mean, you should stay on that train, man. <laughs> stick. You made a lot of poor choice. You make some poor choices. Stick. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out. He does a lot of, he makes a lot yeah, of poor right? choices. Like everything is a poor choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he talks about going to jail because, you know, he's, he's stolen 421 cars, but that's not why he went to jail. He went to jail for armed robbery. But he answers that question more than once that he meant he got arrested for armed robbery, but he has this long pause when he's talking to somebody about it. Right. Where he goes, I, I stole, so I heard you stole 421 cars. Yeah. Would you really go to jail for it? Armed robbery. Like, like he's lying. Like he's trying to think of something else to say. I really went to really, really went to jail for, but poor choices. Yes. Because he went from stealing 421 cars and never being caught to armed robbery and getting caught. Right. He could have just said poor choices and I would have been fine with it. (laughs) Right. I mean, they should have just like, that should have been the through line because he said it. There was a whole like setup where he talks about, I could always make, you know, he says it to Candace Bergen. Yeah. Right. After, after they sleep together. Right. And he's like, yeah, was so did he, was he calling her a poor choice? Right. That's, that's what every woman wants to hear after. after. Yeah, and, it, and it's such a weird thing, man. It's like that, that whole that weird, that romance between them just doesn't, I don't buy any of it. Just doesn't, it just seems like they Hey, and Candace Bergen will be in this movie. I mean, I know they were all friends. Yeah. So, you know, he probably just asked her to be in it, but it just seems weird. They don't really seem to have any chemistry. No. You know? And weren't they in another movie together? I don't know why I'm wrong. I'm thinking Jill Clayburg because uh, Best Friends, is that, was that Bert and Jill Clayburg? I think uh, so. I thought. Uh, or I Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn was Best Friends, but I know yeah. that, I know Jill, him He's and in Jill. another movie with Jill yeah. Clayburg. But I mean, his chemistry with both of them is better than it is. It's just not good with Brigham. I just, I don't know if it's because he was behind the camera and he's trying, you know, I don't know, man, whatever it is. It's just that, that, that whole, it doesn't go anywhere. No. <laughs> Starting over is the movie you're thinking of. Yeah. There you Who go. Also has, what also has Candace Bergen in it as well. <laughs> well, there you go. How crazy is that shit? 
How's that? God, see, it comes full circle, man. And then he was like, as you like to say, the height of his power, right? Yeah. Right. He was coming to the to the peak of that Matterhorn, right? And he was about to slide on the backside of that that is Showgrace. He was about to slide into the 80s. <laughs> yeah. In all fairness, then he dropped one hit in 1980, and that was the Smokey sequel, the second one. The first sequel of Smokey and the Bear. Right, that's 1980, right? Yeah, and there, which is really just a 70s movie that slid into the 80s. That's, that's all it is. And this is a time, too, when movies like that took a full year from shooting to editing to hitting the screen. It's not like you can turn them around and shit a week now. That's something that's very, well, maybe not so much right now, but when pre-COVID... Some people may not know this, but, you know, when it comes to doing post-production on a movie, they don't little lock picture two, three weeks before release sometimes. And they're doing the score right up until the day before they have to strike prints. <laughs> it's, it's another reason why movie, you know, movie studios have been so real keen on delivering digitally because it's so much cheaper for them. And it allows them to deliver at the last minute, which is what they do quite often with heavy effects movies. So this movie does not have any effects <laughs> <laughs> no, none whatsoever. And which is awesome and benefits from it. You know what this movie does have that I do kind of dig? It has a kick-ass score. <laughs> it's very Miami Vice. Yeah, very much so. That's what I was kind of saying in the beginning, that that montage score is different than the rest of the score. But then I noticed at one point, too, the score so stands out so much that there's yes. a very large portion where the score's not even there. Right. It's and, weird. It comes and it goes like, you know, it, where it jumps back out at you is, you know, uh, remember it's at the point where Bert's driving around after the, after, you know, after whatever happens to loss and happens and, and Siegel's like, if you kill him, you can have the car. Right. And, and, the and top he jumps down. In, right. right. And, and then it's, then it's like score city, dude. And he yeah. pulls into that parking lot and it's like, he gets louder when he gets out of the car. <laughs> it's so it's like funny. jarring. It really is, man. So when this movie came out in the spring, April 26th, that's a weird time to put a movie out. At, yeah, at especially in 85. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't say that Sid made a lot of great choices in revolving this movie <laughs> from the reshoots going forward. Again, we don't know if we got a better movie or we got a lesser movie than what Bird delivered to him. Man, well, I would, yeah, God, wouldn't it be great? Because um, I, you know, here's the thing. Bottom line, I love Bert. Yes. And that's the reason why I, I would say if, you, if you're if you a Bert fan and you want to see everything Bert was in, yeah, you could do worse than this. Yes, you you really could. You could. For real you soon after this. Like Malone. Uh, Renicop. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Renicop. Was that like 93? Liza and Burt Reynolds. It's like a few years after this. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, you know, it's kind of lower end middle of the road as far as Burt's but hey look man in 1985 I dude I see I see yeah. I saw all the I'm looking at I was looking at his filmography yeah Every, I saw everything he did all in the 80s all heat Rent-a-cop, yeah. you know and then there were some good ones thrown in and out of there uh the the safe cracker movie with uh breaking in with him and Casey Samasco I love it yeah that's good there there are you know it, it's funny because it's like every actor you know you have that that period, I, I, I think Bert's a lot like Brando, uh, oh, where yeah. Bert, you know, he had that early, you know, he, he had that, he started, I mean, he, his, where his career arc's different than Brando say is like Bert started, you know, in B Italian Western, you know, TV. And then, and then bang, dude, he was like biggest fucking star in the world. Right. And then he went into the, you know, an interesting period where he made, you know, 
interesting and odd choices. Not <laughs> unlike Brando. Right. Paternity is another weird, you know, I mean, Paternity is a super it, weird one, right? Right. It's just, you know, and it, we follow it into, you know, and then we go into best friends and stroke race and they want to try to make him a romantic comedic lead. Cause you know, I, I think that Bert was probably, you know, we all know his history, you know, battle, you know, his legs and stuff. And you can see it in sick, dude, yeah. like when he's running. Cause when they shoot that shot from behind, when he runs, <laughs> oh it's the not even him. <laughs> yeah. The, the one where he goes, when he runs into the water. But what about that one moment where he sees the two dudes and he bolts? Yes. And then they show that reverse shot of him running, of him running around the corner. And Mike going, oh, come on, dude. That wasn't even Bert 20 years before this. No. It, yeah, totally. <laughs> It was like so obvious. And then the reverse you see next time you see him, it was actually him running, but you can just see him like, yeah, I can do it for about 25 feet. And that's all I got. Yeah, man. And you can see there's a couple other times when you see him, like uh, there's a moment when he's in Nestor's uh, house and uh, you, you, it's just, it's when he stands up to yeah. leave and you're like, oh man, you could, you could, you're like, oh man, he's having, he was having a rough day that day. Cause it's like, oh, you know, he was almost 50 at that point. So he's probably like our age yeah. now. Burnt in this movie, I really feel like, I don't know. I think he was, and, and that thing I told you about earlier, uh, he, you know, he, his own words, like, yeah, I kind of walked through the movie on the reshoots and reading that after I saw the movie, after not seeing it for a very long time, I really feel like, man, I sure didn't walk through the entire movie. Cause I, I, I feel like he was, we mentioned uh, evening shade earlier, you and I then before we turned on the, on the mics. He kind of found an, an, a place again in the world as far as like entertainment because he hadn't really done much. And he basically did what he did with any of the movies that he directed. He invited all of his friends down and said, hey, we're going to do this TV show together. Right. And uh, they did that, but it really worked. I didn't really get to get the show until later on when I was more of an adult and I got to watch. I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of cool having everybody like, ah, that, it was fun. Um, he got himself an Emmy for that too, which who would have thought that? And that's a big thing for Bert too. Bert, you know, let's be honest, man. He was the biggest movie star in the world for a very long time. Gotta think that messes with the ego a little bit too, right? Sure. Having a bunch of failures after that can really make you go into a spin. You yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, it, but it's funny because he did sort of, but I loved Evening Shade, man. And I thought he, you know. Oh, I did too. What he did well at that point in his career, you know, that that worked for the small screen. Right. I mean, I even like B.L. Stryker, dude, which was his series. <laughs> which is he did which before was this, right? one season series before. I thought it was fun, man. It was, you know, you could tell they were trying to, you know, like to create something for him, like a Magnum P.I. kind of vibe right. or what, you know, this, the things that were on TV, you know, Vi Miami Vice. Yeah, the things that were on TV that were derivatives of his feature film characters. Right. You know, things that, things that were people, people were trying to put Burt Reynolds you know, on television were successful for Tom Selleck and that kind of thing. So they said, hey, you know what? If it worked for those guys trying to be Burt, why don't you put Burt as Burt? Fortunately, it didn't, didn't pick up because I, I think a lot of people at that time had the same stigma that of a lot of actors had about making feature films versus television. Like television is right. a wasteland, but... And so a lot of people didn't want to watch Bert on TV until Evening Shade because Evening Shade was a massive hit for him. Yeah, totally. He started in TV, right? Or, you know, early on, kind of came full circle. And then he came back to features at the end, like with Boogie Nights, you know, it was a big comeback. That and Striptease, dude, because I love him in Striptease. I know the movie's not great, but he's great. <laughs> he's great in it. 
I mean, seriously, the best part of of striptease for me is Bert. Yeah. You know, everybody else is watching because, oh, and Demi is, gets naked in it. I'm like, so? Who cares? Bert. <laughs> and that line, dude, about the Vaseline in his boots. <laughs> yes. I was just going to mention sticks, that. Always sticks with me. Absolutely. It's the movie because I hadn't seen Bert in a while. You know, it was like, that was because that was 90s. That was right before Boogie Nights, I think. So he had like the one-two punch of striptease and then Boogie Nights. Yeah. Uh, a very long, successful career, you know, ups yeah. and downs. But, you know, Stick, again, I feel like, you know, too much studio involvement. Yeah. Uh, but still, man, there's something about Bert doing his thing in this movie that still is fun to watch. Is the movie necessarily fun to watch? No. no. But <laughs> Bert is. And it's Bert, man. It is Bert. When we set up the four movies that we were going to watch, we both thought, thought this was a good one to kind of lead with. Right? Yeah. It seemed like it at the time. Right. But, and maybe it is. You know, maybe it is because we're, we're you know, it's something that we both enjoyed. Yeah. And 35 years ago. And let's be honest right now. We call it karate in the garage, but there's a reason why you see those right. four letters. It's better remembered, remember better. And... This, unfortunately. <laughs> well, right. Or fortunately, man, depending on how depending you look, you look at it. Because at it. You know, it's, we have been waxing poetic about, we've had a love affair with every movie we've covered that like the last 20, 25. Even the ones that we had some, you know, some bumps and some hiccups to kind of discuss when we, on mic. This one truly fits into that, into the remembered better category. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's fine because look, we are... We do this because of how much we love movies when we were teenagers going forward. Totally. This is right in our wheelhouse, like right when we were in the middle right. of being teenagers. Yeah, man. This is this is like in that sort of formative, like this is this is where your brain starts to form. And right. this is, you know, this is where you sort of start developing your taste. And this, you know, at the time. Right. This was, dude, I was so down with this. Yeah. You know, and I used to recommended to be I was like dude you gotta see stick and me and all my friends have seen it dude everybody I grew up with we've all seen stick and it was always about the pool yeah it was always about Lawson's character what happens to him yeah it was always about stick and Charles Durning who we gotta touch we gotta talk about the ridiculousness yes. of Charles Durning before we end this episode because <laughs> of course, man, definitely. I, I'm just like do you think we can do it right now if you want. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I was no way closing out this thing without discussing. <laughs> I mean, dude, who, let me ask you this. So whose choices? Because we know Durning. Durning's great and everything. And okay. he's not terrible in this. No. He's just almost in another movie. Right. Um, but who do you, do you think that was all Durning? Like, I got a spin on this, Bert. Or do you think him and Bert were like, no, this is how Chucky's going to be played, bro. <laughs> I don't Here's know. what we're going to do. I really, what do you, you know. And this isn't the first time we talked about Stick on Mike or Charles Durning's character specifically. Right. Um, we talked about him. We were talking about this movie in general. We, we weren't even doing a movie episode. I think it might have been a kickstart. Yeah. And we talked about how much Charles Durning's character Chucky is presented visibly in this and how much it reminded us of Pesci and JFK. <laughs> Yeah, dude, the eyebrows, weird hair, the really? wigs. <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, you know, the only thing, the only difference is that uh, Pesci never wore a mumu. <laughs> right. And, and Pesci's character was being painted as somebody that that was a little uh, a little eccentric, more than just this weird hood, wannabe hood that, Dern, that Durning was playing. I don't know, man. Yeah, it, but Charles Durning, 
when you first meet Chucky, <laughs> he has got this terrible wig on and he's got these eyebrows that look like you took two mustaches and glued them on each side of his face. Right? I mean, dude, doesn't it look like someone just said, hey, uh, oh yeah, we got to do something. Or he said, hey man, I want to, I need something on my eyebrows. And the fucking poor makeup guy's like, oh, I got her some more of Bert's mustaches. <laughs> Bang! And boom, they put two of those on there and it was it. And tied him and there you go. We mentioned Bert's mustache earlier, possibly from the reshoots looking a little differently, a little more trim or a little thicker, depending on how you look at it. I noticed that the latter half of the movie, his mustache, Bert's mustache is more like his smoky mustache, right? Yep. It's more like the classic Bert Reynolds mustache. So when you see his super trim earlier, I thought maybe he was just going for a character, but later on you see Bert's mustache. Gotta think those are the reshoots. But I bring that back up again because Charles Charles Durning's uh, eyebrows look trim at different parts of this movie and almost think that the reshoots they couldn't find those eyebrows yeah and that's what we were looking at. We we're looking or at. Or different- somebody said, those eyebrows are ridiculous. I don't want to see them in these reshoots. And they're like, well, so we're going to have to cut it together. And like, it doesn't matter. Scheinberg was like, no, those are terrible. Or vice versa. Put the eyebrow, whatever it was, however it went, you know. Or maybe it was Bert. Like, that was a fuck you to the studio. Like, oh, you want to fuck with me? All right, well, fuck here, Chuck. Put these, you know, because him and Durning were buddies, dude. They've read yeah. several movies together. Yeah, and, and, you know, and he was on Evening, Evening Shade. He was right. a Sharky's machine. Right. So, you know, I feel like that's a, you know, that's probably something where they were just like, fuck the studio. This is what we're going to, you know, here you go. Take that guys. Right. Cause it, he sticks out like a fucking sore thumb. Dude. Yes. You can't look at anything else on the screen when he's on the screen. No. Be and, it the no. fucking weird eyebrows, the terrible Hawaiian he's still, uh, shirts, and he's if wearing, you want to call them that. Right. He's wearing Hawaiian shirts that are the size of. God knows what, man. You, you these were these were not off the rack. I'll just say no. They weren't off the rack. They were off. So they were off the women's rack. And they were <laughs> they were dresses or something. I'm not sure what they were, but they look awful lot like what Marlon Brando wears in the Island of Doctor Moreau, just in Hawaiian print. <laughs> There's one moment later on too in the movie where, like a Hawaiian monk, it looked like there was a button missing from whatever shirt he was wearing on top. Yeah, and it's like. You look at the last button and it's like, it's like 12 inches of material after that, that go down past his waist. Clearly cut for him. Clearly wardrobe made that for him because Charles Durning was, got very large towards the end of his career. See, even his Sarkis machine. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you were really starting to see the kind of weight he was putting on. He was, he wasn't. Leon's getting larger. <laughs> and he did a great job covering that stuff up. But, but when you get to something like stick, then you realize that he was definitely having some difficulties, you know, with his weight. It worked with Chucky as far as making him this weird eccentric criminal. And it's like, a, it's very Elmore Leonard on the page. It yes. just seems so weird when you see it in the movie. It's yeah. like, it's so jarring that you're like between him and Moki. It's like, yeah, that's Dar Robinson's character. He's an albino. By the way, during some of those close-ups of Dar, I really thought that those contacts were going to stand out more, but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. No, 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 they didn't bug me. They they actually, you know, for the, especially seeing it as 35 years ago. And this is like, you know, I feel like, you know, they're on par with the things, you know, it's funny when you look at them and if you look at Thriller. Yeah. I feel the ones in Thriller are more, they stick out more than these. Yeah. I, I think it's because you're, it's more accepting of, you're more accepting of what's happening. But you're also, yeah, everything about Dar Robinson is weird that, you know, they've, 
his voice. Buying, you know, the, it, it, it all. So you're not just looking at the eyes; you're looking at all of it because it's, you know, the hair, the it got the skin, and his 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 looped his loop voice is like Weird. I don't even know that's really his voice. I don't honestly. know if it is either. Yeah, and because it just sounds yeah. You stick, I'm going to kill you. It's just the, it's, the montage where he's running around and shaking down everybody in <laughs> South Beach. Oh, they're trying to find where he's at? Yeah, when they're trying to find Stick. It's so weird. And they just show up at his homeboy's house, you know, all right on the water while he's out fishing or whatever the hell he was doing. Right? The spear gunning, whatever the hell he's doing. <laughs> oh, no, no, the, the moment. Oh, he's in the, the boat. Yeah, the, I know. Yeah, but um, but and was, then, he swam into the guy and climbed up on the boat. Just, what, what are you doing, Stick? And just like Dar's, you know, big gag he pulls later on off the building, when Bert is in that boat coming across, does it feel like it takes forever for that boat to get to Dude. <laughs> I'm like, what, fuck, we should be hand paddling that thing. <laughs> and, and I feel like Bert, the, Bert's got this anguished look on his face. Like this is the fifth take for him to do this because like they had to wait for the water to settle before he came back around again. Cause he looks pained. He looks like, like he's, I don't know if that, if that was acting or he's like, he's pissed off. He had to do the shot again or whatever, but it takes forever to get there. And they did one like insert shot as he's coming across the two hoods, like walking back to their cars. Uh, Dar's character. It was a uh, Moki. Yeah, Moki. Can't believe I forgot already. And uh, I, I don't remember the dude's name was like. He's like another hood or something. Who knows? Mises race across in in his boat, and it's just so weird. And he gets there, and his boys on the ground. But now, what did they do to him? The guy, his his friend, that's on the ground. Like he, they beat him up and then tied his hands together yeah. or something. But I gotta say, that's one of the better scenes between with him and Renoso. That, yeah. The aftermath. That's one of the better scenes in the movie. That that that's definitely from. I feel like when Bert was still on board. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I it's a it's a really you get information. You're buying the character. You feel like those dudes have a chemistry. There's a past. They've definitely known yeah. each other a long time. Unlike some of the later scenes. Or, you know, who knows? Because I can't tell what's reshoot and what's not because it's so choppy and weird. Yeah. You know, unless you're, you know, I think we should do a thing for the rest of the month or the rest of these movies. Let's do a Burt mustache watch. Yes, let's do that. We'll see. We're going to see where the mustache, <laughs> what, what's with the mustache, man? It's, yeah, a, it's our he, through line for he, these movies, these four movies. Yeah, because, you know, we'll talk about the inconsistencies in the other movies, but this one's got inconsistencies all in the same movie. Right. And, and let us know whether, like, uh, here's another thing I'm going to throw out. Do you prefer Reynolds with the stash or without? Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's like a, he looks like a totally different dude. That's the weird thing. It's like, I feel like the mustache became a thing around Gator or Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. Maybe Gator. Cause in White Lightning, Deliverance, no mustache, man. No mustache. So, hey, look. Yeah. You know. I know the mustache is his thing, you know, at least for a period of time it was, but I got so used to the beard, you know. In the movie, dude, I think he looks great. Like yeah. with the beard when he gets picked, when Rainy picks him up and, you know, they're driving the van out to the yeah. Everglades and they're, you know, I mean, dude, I'm like, yeah, dude, this is what stick. And then he becomes, once he shaves that whole reach, you know, whatever, there's that weird, you know, I feel like it's another montage, a shaving montage. It's just like. <laughs> For a movie that's, that's, that's this duration, I feel like you could have got a nice trim 90 minutes if you weren't so busy throwing unnecessary montages in there that do not advance damn. shit. No, they're just goofy. <laughs> they're goofy. Yeah, I'm going to throw this out there real quick. Yeah. Uh, George Siegel, who's uh, also in the film. Love him in this, by the way. He's like my he's like my one of my favorite parts of the movie. So I'm going to throw this out because I'm not sure if we're going to air before or after, but also let's wish George Siegel a happy birthday on February 13th. 
Happy birthday, George Siegel. Yeah. Hey, George. And if you don't know George Siegel is, how dare you? Second half. How dare you? <laughs> uh, I showed uh, Joey a moment of this movie so he can trip out and see, you know, because George Siegel plays the grandfather, the living grandfather on the Goldbergs on ABC. And so he's like, what? I'm like, he. let's be honest here. The years have passed. Decades have gone by. He still looks and sounds yeah, exactly dude, the same. I worked with George 24 years ago, oh, 23 years ago yeah. on Just Shoot Me. And he looks exactly the same in the Goldbergs as he did on Just Shoot Me. He seems like a lovely dude. He seems like such oh, a- Oh, man. Yeah. Nicest guy in the world, dude. Yeah. And also one of the most fun people I've ever been around. He used to warm up the crowds with his banjo. Oh, uh, yeah. Do pre-show stuff. And he's super fun. I Wonderful to, person. I used to love when you would show up on, you know, on Carson and, and yeah. do a little banjo and stuff Dude. like that. He's one of the best people I've ever fucking had the pleasure of, you know, working with. He's, yeah, he's awesome. The people that we're talking about in this movie, like the, the standouts, the Candy Bergens and Durnings and Seagulls, they all eventually found a home on television. Sure. Which I thought, and, and not just a home, but success on television, like big success. I mean- I remember an evening shade hit. I thought, oh gosh, Bert, what are you doing? I saw it and I'm like going, oh, it's just, it's charming. I get it. It's okay. And, and, and just this, again, it's like pizza. If you get to, if you like half the cast is on that show because the cast was massive. I felt like everybody that Bert knows was in, was on the show. Fast forward and Candy and Murphy Brown. And of course, Charles was on evening shade. So he got a, a hit TV show he's involved in too. It's weird that all these people that were recognized as feature film, silver screen actors finally found a comfortable and a comfortable home on television and do well. This wasn't the first time. I mean, Goldberg's was the first thing George Siegel had done, but he works really well on it. But in this movie, dude, I love him in this. I read some interview too and setting up for this conversation that he didn't even know Bert before the movie, which is weird because really? almost everybody in this movie is yeah, somebody. Yeah, was a friend. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, apparently Bert had seen George in A Touch of Class and that's what he wanted for this movie. He's like, that's what I want, which is crazy, right? I, I would have bet money that this was a, fr a friend thing. I mean, they're friends now. I got to think after, well, not now, but I got to think they were friends after that because he said that, hey, he has such a great time doing it. Again, I've heard this from a lot of people that Bert was, you know, Bert didn't direct a lot. He kind of just did what, what Clint did. And I heard the same thing about working with Clint. He's an actor's director. He really gets in there with, with the actors. And a lot of times he just goes, go for it. Like with Clint, well, Clint doesn't say action. What does Clint say? Oof. Go ahead or something. In fact, I can't remember. Go ahead. Make my says, day. Yeah. <laughs> make my day. Make my day. <laughs> and that's the thing. He always makes his day. Yeah. Clint, that's what he's known for. That's making known for. the day. But uh, um, George Siegel just said the same thing over and over again about Bert saying he's made everybody. He's a wonderful director and he made everything so good for the actors. And as he says, I quote his line here, he says, it's so nice to have an actor or an ex-actor directing you because they get it, you know? that's That was a direct quote from George Siegel. 
And he's so fucking per- dude. Tell me he's not perfect in this movie. Dude, he's great in this movie. The, the scene, the scene where uh, Tim Rosovich has him by the face, you know, <laughs> yes. and he's uh, he's like telling him to tell him to leave the party. He's like, "Where's Stick?" Yeah. <laughs> I, I love George in this movie. Uh, you know, again, all the performances are fun. They just seem oddly disjointed. Um, yes. And uh, you know, but I mean, dude, George is fun. Durning is fun, and it, 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 as weird as it is. It's entertaining. Lawson's good. Candace Bergen is Candace Bergen. I mean, you know, she's doing her thing. She doesn't have a whole lot to do is what I'm saying. Not that she's bad. She just doesn't have a whole lot to do. And that, and, that, and we already said it, that storyline doesn't really seem to go anywhere. No. Everybody's good in the movie, but the movie's not good. <laughs> if right. that makes sense. And it happens. The, the one sheet. Yeah, with Bert's head down, down and her hovering over him. And he's got a cigarette in his mouth and it's like. What's weird is I have never, dude, I don't, I don't know this one sheet. The one I, I have a poster, a frame poster from the theater that I worked at. I actually took it because it was in a box in the back at the drive-in. It's the one of Bert holding a machine gun through a sheet of broken glass. That's the poster I've always associated. So when I saw this, I was like, what the hell is that? And then I realized that's. That's one of the theatrical posters. I thought it, I thought that was something that was made for like a bad, v, but I don't even, the VHS cover was not that. It was the blue one with him on the window. I'd never seen this until yeah. I looked it up yesterday. The one you're talking about is the one that's on the Kino Blu-ray that I have. And, right. and to me, that was the VHS. That was, that was yeah. the thing that came out. That's the movie poster. But I had seen this one before. I had seen this one somewhere before. And I, and so when I saw it, I was doing my research. I'm like, oh yeah, I recognize that. But the thing is, she's hardly in the movie. And oh, by the way, let's talk about that for a moment. You know, here is Stick holding a machine gun that he shoots for about a total of 10 seconds the entire movie. How uncomfortable does Bert look holding and shooting a gun? It just looks, to me, it always looks so weird. Yeah, it is. Look, it does look weird. It made me stop and think, wait, how much have I seen him actually shoot a gun in something? I'm going to say Sharky's machine, I feel, but it's a small you know, caliber. It's a smaller handgun. Yeah. But I would say, but I think, I feel like dude, Bird is one of those actors again, like when he gets rid of, uh, when he, when he, when he comes up with a can of gasoline and pours it into a cocktail glass and throws it in Rasevich's face, right. you know, and pulls out a lighter. I mean that to me, I feel like if I go back and look through, am I going to notice that's a thing with Reynolds is that, you know, he tough guys without, without having a gun. Right. Cause I remember seeing city heat and I didn't throw me He's off got the small that they were, gun that they were holding Tommy had, guns. Right. The, and the gag, the handgun gag, remember in city heat? Yeah. Like Reynolds pulls out his little fucking snub nose and Eastwood pulls out it and Reynolds looks at him like, you know, and then looks at his gun. I mean, it's, so maybe it is a thing. Maybe, you know, again, we're going to look at it over the next four shows. I don't know yeah. how much gunplay there is, but you know, I, I think you're right. Yeah. It, it looks super weird. And I made me think about, wait, what they're selling you on that VHS cover and the Blu-ray cover is, oh yeah. It's very Sharky's machine that oh, cover totally. too. Oh my gosh. When I remember when that movie came out, I felt Sharky's machine instantly. I've, that's, that's the total vibe there. I have, in a lot of ways, I feel like Stick was supposed to, it feels like a Sharky's machine kind of vibe, except for somebody goes, yeah, all the people are there. Uh, you know, All of his friends have been invited, but we're just going to put him on the front. Yeah. People are coming to see Bert. Yeah, that was the Bert. selling point, right? I yeah. mean, it's the same uh, with the, it didn't come out directly after, but I think it, maybe it did come out the next year. Remember Heat with Bert Reynolds, where he's like a yeah. bodyguard in Las Vegas? Yeah. And I think 
Peter McNichol maybe is the guy who hires him. I, I'm not, I gotta, you know, I'd have to revisit it, but, but even that, I don't feel Bert, there's much gunplay from Bert in it. I feel he dodges a lot of bullets, <laughs> but I, I don't know that he returns fire with a lot of, you know, or relies on a gun. I think yeah. He's, you know, yeah, he was a weird one, man. That was like, and that was the year, I think a year after this, right? Yeah, yeah 86, 86, I think. Just like with Stick, a very big novelist <laughs> had written Heat also. And that was Goldman, William right? Goldman. Yeah. It, if you want to watch Heat, it's currently on Tubi. Hopefully it's still on there by the time yeah. this airs. You can also watch the remake of it with Jason Statham, which is called Wild Card, I think. Something like that. And the thing I got to say, man, I saw Heat in the last four or five years. Me too. I have to say, man, held up better than Stick did. Yeah, it's it's funny because I saw it. I remember when I saw that they were remaking it, I wanted to revisit it. So, God, it's been probably, I think they remade it in 2013. So it's been almost 10 years since I saw it. But uh, that, that's why I was so like, oh, man, Stick's going to kick ass because Heat was good. And I remembered Stick being better than Heat. But, you know, maybe it's not so. And by the way, this is another one of those badass things that was happening back in the 80s. Um, just like with Elmore Leonard, William Goldman actually did his own adaptation. Again, I kind of think that nobody got in his way on this one too. And, and granted, he, I mean, he didn't direct it. They did have two directors, but you know, he was still feeling the sting from the year before. There's no way he didn't. And he, for, for Bert to come out and interview and openly say, yeah, I, I slept walk through my reshoots because fuck it. But this, I think he had a little bit of a, an option to uh, an opportunity to just chill and just like, like I don't, only thing I got to do is rem- know my lines and hit my marks. I don't think he walks through heat. I thought he was pretty good in heat. I thought the cast was really good in heat. I thought it was, it worked. and Howard Hessman, I forgot he's Howard. I thought heat worked. And I think really that, that is the, the, the downfall of stick is that studio involvement that we've talked about. It just, yeah, totally. I really think that he probably would have had a movie that could have held up and Oh yeah, 80s through and through, sure, but... Yeah, just based on the source material alone. Yes. And Bert's track record. And Bert knew what he was doing. I I just feel like, you know, Sid Scheinberg and Universal, too tight of a grip on their man. They just literally... Bert knew exactly what he wanted to make. They wanted to make something that would bring in a new crowd. I think they were trying to find a new crowd. Who knows, man? But what they ended up making was kind of a mess. (laughs) Well, yeah. Like we talked about, for the daughter thing to be not really part of it and then becomes a part of it. Dude, and just like with Commando, she becomes a pawn. She becomes somebody he's got to go rescue and that. That weird, you know what scene really fucks this movie up for me is where they're at the bar and they're eating and she's like, do you know, yes, too much, that's enough salt for the next year. Do you know about, you know, and it was just like, oh man, this yeah. is bad. Because she became like his daughter sort of, like, I was like, she's kind of annoying. Yeah. I, it, I was better when, they, when I didn't know, you know, again. So yeah, it was weird. That, that's all obviously reshot stuff, I would yeah. imagine. And it's just, it kind of gums up the works and you know and there was a lot of gumming up the works already before that yeah because elmer leonard said him having his reconciliation with his daughter any meetup physical meetup with her was never in his his novel and so this no, is all not. part of the reshoots and yeah dude it was so like a part of me is like going man i bet sticks thinking man I, maybe i shouldn't have shown up at the park <laughs> right <laughs> and he's just laying the oh yeah it's a moment of attempted comedy that is like you said it just becomes more annoying than anything and there's a lot of moments in heat i'm sorry in stick that i never noticed before where there's uh, lack of better words a a lot of nothing going on yep there certainly is i really felt that those moments right there with her and her dad were just i don't know 
obviously shoehorned in because it wasn't it just it just stood out. I'm like, hey man, don't you have like thugs after you? <laughs> Why would you go near your daughter right now? <laughs> right, man. You wouldn't want to lead them to it, yeah, there's some <laughs> illogical moments in this film and you know they're they're the old movie tropes yes. but it seems like they just tried to throw them all in there and yeah. like you know and it you know you can't have every old trope in a movie because they work against each other and you know and, and people recognize that especially when it's that this you know when it, when it's that jarring and that sort of out of tone and character you know we've already established who what stick it who stick you know it, it just kind of works against the story you're already telling right by the way, there's the explosion in the beginning when the when the van blows up. Yep. When those two stuntmen are running away from it. Somebody got burnt, dude. Somebody got burnt. <laughs> that trail of gas went up so fast. Yeah. And I'm Crazy. like, uh, right away is like, like, it's funny. You don't, you don't see that as a kid, but as an adult, you're right. like, especially somebody that's worked on a set more than once. You're like, yeah, holy shit. There's and I'm no going to say this, I'm yeah. going to say this in closing, because the one thing about all these Burt Reynolds movies. And I will say this always, and I want to say this is this is Burt and his his experience with Hal Needham. The stunts are always great. Yes. They're always big. They're always like, you're always like, holy shit, someone got fucked because they literally, they don't cheat you. They didn't, they never, they never tried to like, they never took shortcuts. They did them in camera. They did them real. Right. You know, you know, we, how we love to throw it out to the stuntman. And I want to say all Burt Reynolds movies through this period, the stunts are phenomenal. Whether yep. the movies are great or not, the stunts. And I want to also say his prop gag, dude, the, the things that he fucking like when he opens the lock on the door, all that stuff, top notch, dude. Because those yep. are real old time special effects, dude. They had the real deal. It's not like, you know, some guy trying to pass something off. And you're like, that's not what you'd use. That is the shit you'd use if you're a car thief. Yeah. It, it thought that was really clever. The potential, the eye, the, the eye yes. of the detail in this movie. Yeah. And because of, of Hal and all the work he did for him for years, his love and adoration for stuntmen is massive. It's the reason why Dar, and this is his only acting role. Right. <laughs> this is the only thing he's ever done was this. He's like, oh yeah, Dar's going to be my dude in this movie. You know, I'm going to have him on screen too. He's already going to be on set with me. Fuck it. Let's do this. Like we said before, one of the best gags off a building ever. He, and that's the thing. You just see the movie. And from just for Moki's death alone, it's so worth it just to watch that. I guess for the first time ever, I actually saw the deceleration cable that I never noticed it before. Really? Uh, yeah, I got. I, I didn't even notice it. Still, I, I wasn't because I, I, I was. I was so waiting for it to happen. I was like, oh, here, you know. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny? This in this same year, 1985, Dar also did the uh, bridge jump off into Live and Die in L.A. Really? That was him. Yeah, man. <sighs> Man, and and unfortunately, we lost our the year after this. Right. Yeah. Did he? Did he die? Did he? Was he? Were they shooting Lethal Weapon? No, it was. It was um, a because I know that at the end of Lethal Weapon, they dedicate the film to him. I think that's possible. I, he died um, while they were doing. He was doing another movie, Million Dollar Mystery. I think he was. Doing, oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's what he was doing. But I think that they 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 they, they you know they give a, a in in, in loving memoriam to Dar during the credits, the right. final credits of Lethal Weapon, I believe. Yeah, because I think that was one of the last things he did. And then, of course, Lethal Weapon came out in '87. Uh huh. '87. Gotta think about it. <laughs> the year I graduated from high math. school, and I can't remember it. What was that? '87. '87. If you want to just have fun or and just throw this movie on because Bert's Bert and he and Bert's yeah. awesome. Go for it. It's it's fun to watch George Siegel 
40 years ago. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Durning. Durning. Oh, and Durning right? is a crack up dude. And he's so fun. And he, he had to have known how he looked, right? Whether he, he chose yeah, totally. it or not, but he's still Charles Durning. He's a fucking pro and he's awesome. And he's really funny in it. Too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the thing about Durning, Durning could be a, kick-ass tough guy you know like he is in sharky's machine yeah. or he can you know or he can play it loose and fast and, and goofy and and work like he didn't stick or he can play a more traditional and play it and and find that fine line like in home for the holidays i mean look dude you want to talk about fucking somebody who had a fucking very vast <laughs> career look up charles durning sometime for sure crazy we love bert yep. it's bert's birthday month we you know there are better movies you can see and there are worse movies. But look, if you're just looking for a Burt movie, maybe you don't know or haven't seen and you want to see, you know, and you love Burt, check out Stick. Yeah. And embrace it for what it is. And anything that we're seem to be leaning on the side of it is just, again, the whole point of the show, we're fighting with our teenage selves. Yeah. <laughs> right. Almost forgot. This is the movie because there's so much going on in this movie. Alex Rocco. Oh, I was going to say, I wanted to, yeah, you're right. I wanted to say, I totally forgot Rocco was in this movie you, you because yeah. he's hardly in it, nope. but he does show up as a sleazy, uh, he's trying, he's trying to run a scam about, he's trying to run a Hollywood movie scam. And I feel like that mm. is kind of some subtext and underlying of what's really going on while they're making stick. Yeah. Almost the point like going, man, I'm wondering something here. I'm wondering if this was part of the movie. To begin with, Sid saw it and went, oh, fuck you, Bert. Fuck you, actor. And then did this. Did all those, re made him do all those reshoots and changed the movie. Who knows? Yeah. I may have to, I may have to revisit the book and then, you know, well, there you go. See, that's the positive thing. You yeah. know, I've now I've seen the movie, but now I might have to go reread the book. Swag was the book that Leonard wrote before Stick that had, that was introduction to the Stick character. There was, uh, I think, I think the stick character shows up in a third book too, yep. but I went through it. They came out like in the nineties. Here's the thing about Elmore Leonard. His books are rad. And if you haven't never read any of his books, it's a dangerous dive into a very deep pool because if you're big on purchasing these books and not going to the library, you're going to, it's going to cost you a few bucks because there's a lot of Elmore Leonard out there to, to digest. Yeah, man, certainly are. Anyway, obviously stick is a product of the 80s and the stick is a, also the product of studio involvement but it doesn't take away the fact that it's probably a movie you've never seen before a burt reynolds movie on top of that and in, for no other reason like i said we love burt and this was a good one to start off with because the rest of the month is got at least two movies you probably haven't seen right I mean, you'll be, I would bet, you know, those, there's definitely going to be one that everybody's going to be super familiar with, but I'm going to say the other two are going to be more in this vein. For sure. Yeah. And that's, and then, but they'll be fun because, well, I, I've been really good about it. Been really good about not watching any of them. Yeah. I have not, I have not watched anything up until, you know, I, and I'm not going to watch it until the night before. Except for, well, I mean, the one, one of my picks is something that I've watched ad nauseum since I got it on Blu-ray like five years ago. So I think I watch it like two or three times a year. I haven't seen it since it came out. Since I was, well, since Cable when I was a kid. <laughs> it's I'm so going to tell you that. Dude. There you go. Episode one of February. February. <laughs> yes. I, I would love to take credit for that, but, but apparently we're the first ones that have used it. Uh, there's no. another podcast from eight years sure. ago. They, they did it too. And who yeah. cares? It's yeah, Burt Reynolds, man. Like you can take, you can have October or you can have Feb Bert wary. It's, you know, Hey, whatever, man. It's all the same. Yeah. We all love Bert. October's, yeah. October's a play on his name. 
February's a play on his birthday month. There. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, right. hey, guess what? You know what? I'm on Letterboxd. You can follow me at Corey underscore Culp. Or uh, if you dig the show and you want to support the show, I, we appreciate that. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You can reach us at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. Hey, guess what? I'm on Letterboxd too. And in, in honor of February, <laughs> you can follow me at Sharky's Machine <laughs> or Tom Cody at Letterboxd. Yeah. There you go. Cody. Okay, stick. Shaggy. <laughs> Almost every character in this damn movie has a Y into their name. Barry, Barry Chucky, Rainy, Chucky, Rainy, Stickly. Stickly. You know who doesn't have a, a Candace name like Bergen? That? Candace Bergen. And Lawson, I don't think. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, Lawson's Cornell. You could call they, him Corny. You could have called him Corny. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> yes. Thankfully, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, and Moki, right? The girl Mokey. at the bar was named Bobby, right? Yeah, man. You know, lots of I-E-Y yeah. going on there. Yeah.